scripture uh, about mm -hmm. a memorial. And so Joshua, uh, let me just share what there is in Joshua 4. When the whole nation had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, choose 12 men from the people, one from each tribe, and tell them to take up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan and with them on their shoulders, they will take them to the other side. So Joshua called together the 12 men that he had appointed from the Israelites, one from each tribe, and, they, and said to them, Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes and the Israelites, to serve as a sign among you. In the future, when your children ask you, what do these stones mean? Tell them that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan safely, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. These stones are to be a memorial to the people of Israel forever. So we're in a period this week to memorialize, uh, and it's a little bit of a different kind of uh, observance, and there's some conflicting understanding of the difference between, say, Memorial Day and Veterans Day. Mm -hmm. And so what I'd like to do is just share a little bit of that difference. The... Memorial Day, take note, that was uh, enacted 50 years ago this year is to observe uh, by attending services, attending or maybe visiting a cemetery or other monument to honor those who uh, were killed in action. And with that, the opportunity is a little bit conflicted uh, using the word memorial as we did here as a sign uh, a little bit incongruous to use the word happy so what I like to do is just remind you that it's a time to reflect when you have the opportunity to uh, give a salutation or a, a greeting to someone you might just say have a meaningful, have a reflective Memorial Day. And if they ask, if they offer you a happy Memorial Day, understand, be polite, gracious, and say, recognizing uh, you as well, have a reflective, meaningful day, or whatever. So what I'd like to do is just pray right now, if you would pray with me. So, Father, on this very special occasion, we lift up those who died for their country. And whether their names are on a wall, on a monument, at a gravesite, 
we recognize that they'll never grow old. They'll always be remembered as heroes. The war is over for them. So we take time now to really respect, honor, and lift up the families, the moms, the dads, the husbands, wives, the daughters and sons. For them, that war will never cease. And we just lift up them and honor them at this point. We thank you for allowing us the freedom to recognize those who we've lost. And we do this through Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Rob, we have newlyweds here today, one of which is your daughter. They're sitting right over there. A new couple. Piper and Michael Holmes. Stand up. And I'm real proud of that. <laughs> she grew up in this church. She liked the sermon so much they came back for the second service too. <laughs> Thank you very much, Rob, for giving us a moment of reflection. Um, what do you think? You like it? I'm not even sure they're done yet. Maybe they are. This is a VBS time coming up. So next Sunday is our last Sunday in the building. Sunday after next, if you come here, you'll be worshiping alone because we're going to be in the amphitheater. Okay? So this, when you start seeing all this, several things happen. Number one, we're coming to an end of a series, which we are in Leviticus, a love story. You've probably had enough by now. Number two is that we're coming to an end of the time in a building and moving outdoors. Number three, VBS is here, but something else. Number four, we need your help. What most people don't realize when you go to the amphitheater is we have, on any given Sunday, we have 80 to 100 people that are actually our people. The rest are visitors because most of our people take vacations all summer because they've been here working all winter and they're just so ready to get out and do something different. So during the summertime... um, that's why we do, don't do near as much in the church. So we have 8,200 of our people that show up at the amphitheater. Guess how many people it takes to run the worship on the water at the amphitheater? 8,200. <laughs> that means we need all of you. So we need help, for example, with greeters. We need help serving communion. There's all kinds of things that we do. If you want to help with sound and get there early, if they need help with that and all the technical stuff, we could just use your help. And so we're starting today, we're moving back to the older style, we did it last week and it worked okay, of communion. So rather than asking people, assigning people to communion, I'm going to let you decide. If you would like to serve communion, I'll say, come on up here and you get to serve communion. And uh, we'll do that in the amphitheater as well, so you get to start practicing today. After the service, I would invite you to go to the Welcome Center. There's Darla. Stand up, Darla, so they can see you. And she can tell you kind of what our needs are and things like that. So she coordinates a lot of this. So please think about it. And uh, we got a couple more weeks. And if you don't come forward in a couple weeks, we're going to start beating you. We do beat the sheep here, just so you know. (laughs) Okay, before we get into this chapter, um, a number of years ago, Nancy and I were in Washington, D.C. We went on the tour of the war memorials. Uh, I liked what Rob said. Um, Memorial Day is a time to 
reflect on those who have sacrificed their lives for us and uh, those that continue on with the hurt where the, the war never stops. So Nancy and I went on the war memorial. We went at nighttime because they said that's the best time to go because the lighting is designed to show you the different expressions at several of the memorials. And so um, uh, you can see the hollow eyes of some of the soldiers and the sadness and things like that. And so we had a history professor who was moonlighting at nighttime, and so she took us on the tour. She said something I've never forgotten. It resonated so much with what we think in theology. She said, whenever you see a war memorial, you should have, if it's done well, you should have two reactions simultaneously. One is sorrow that somebody had to give their life up for us. And the other one is pride, joy, that someone gave their life for us. And today, we finished the holiness code. We're through all of that, all the things that God desires. And Leviticus, he finishes now with celebrations. So it's now a time to celebrate. Starting in chapter 23, we're looking at all the festivals that are in place. And so when we look forward, these festivals are going to point us to Christ. And so we should each carry that sense with us, that dual sense of sorrow that we, uh, we needed a Messiah. We're the ones that created the mess. God didn't. And so we needed a Messiah. And, and these are all going to point toward him and the need for him to sacrifice his life to atone for our sin. That should generate within us a sorrow that that has to happen, a repentant heart. There's many, many, many thousands of times in life where I've said, Lord, I'm, I'm so sorry that it took a baseball bat to shape me. I'm so sorry that at times you've had to really break through some of that pride. Um, I'm just sorry for that, but I'm very grateful that you did. And I'm very grateful that you pursue me and never let me go. And that's that heart of repentance that we talk about that every one of us should have. So what we're going to do today in uh, Leviticus 23, we're not going to read it all like we have in the past. Uh, I'm going to take you through the festivals one at a time. There are basically seven festivals, okay, and they're organized around the agricultural year, Israel's year. So the festivals give them a sense of timing. We actually have that in our culture as well. We have our own sense of timing. Some are uh, national holidays, some are religious holidays. So we have, for example, Memorial Day, where we honor those who have given their lives. Veterans Day, where we honor the veterans. We have a July 4th, where we are honor freedom and liberty and the things that we have been given as a nation. We have Thanksgiving where we extend thanks for what God has done for us. But then we have the Christian holidays. We have the uh, uh, Lent and leading up to Easter where we remember the death, burial, resurrection of Christ. We have Pentecost Sunday where the Holy Spirit came and brought us all to life. And then we have Advent and Christmas where we celebrate the birth of Christ. So those give us that sense of timing all throughout the year. And so Israel was an agricultural nation I know nothing of agricultural nations. I grew up in Florida on the beach, okay? I came to Christ at 19, which means I'm familiar with frisbees and joints, okay? That's what I know. I don't know about growing anything. Uh, Nancy is the one that grows things. We have flowers on our deck, and I just love them. I don't know when to put them there, and all I know is I'm supposed to water them from time to time. I don't even know how often. And so, but they understood it. So you had the beginning of the agricultural season, the beginning of planting, then you had the middle section where you could see everything growing. And then you had the end of the harvest, the end of the season. And so three of the festivals are right here. 
one is right in the middle, and three are at the end. And so he captures, he uses that agricultural cycle to help them understand things about him, about God. Okay, so we're going to look at, we're going to breeze through them. It's going to be pretty fast, so buckle your seatbelts, okay? So Leviticus 23 starts this way. The Lord said to Moses, speak to the Israelites and say to them, these are my appointed festivals, the appointed festivals of the Lord, which you are to proclaim as sacred assemblies. Okay, pause for read the next verse. Right off the bat, he's creating identity. Our holidays create an identity for us and our country. Other countries don't have the same holidays that we do. So these holidays were designed to do several things, one of which was create identity, okay? But another thing is to keep them, give them times throughout the year to recalibrate. Remember last week I said that once they get into the promised land, well, they're not going to remember all these rules in Leviticus. There's no way. They didn't carry Bibles around like we do, you know? We can look up anything anytime we want. We can just do the search engine. It tells us. You don't have to have it memorized. They didn't have it memorized. So how in the world were they ever going to remember all of these wonderful things that God had asked of them? Well, he put priests scattered all around the nation, all around the countryside. There were priests in every little village. Every place there were people, there were priests. And they were there to help you, to guide you, to teach you, to bring God out to you, to teach you what it means to be a priest. Remember, that was a covenant, is that you're going to become priests. But now the festivals are another way because these festivals occurred throughout the year. And the first one, uh, we're going to talk about the Sabbath, and then they could do anywhere. And then the next seven, they had to come together to Jerusalem at the temple to meet together as a nation. God promised to take care of them. He promised to keep them safe. He promised to watch over their crops and their animals. Everything would be at peace. Nobody would hurt them or their possessions. He would take care of them, and they had to gather, to gather together. So the, these celebrations were designed to be the celebra- celebratory. The festivals were designed to be a celebration where people laugh and dance, and they, and they love, and they remember what the Lord has done for them. And it makes them look forward to what he's going to do and how he's going to bless them. And so they're there to recalibrate them throughout the year. Uh, we could probably use a little bit of this in our nation right now. We're, we've got some troubles, don't we? Some problems going on. Find times to stop and celebrate together what's going on. That's what these festivals are all about. So they created this sense of identity, and they gave this, a, this sense of timing. Okay, verse 3. There are six days when you may work, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, a day of sacred assembly. You are not to do any work wherever you live. This is the only one they could do wherever they happen to live. They didn't have to gather for this. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. This is the oldest of the holy days. It was a weekly time of celebration and could be honored wherever they lived. And so remember the ancient gods in all the nations, you don't work hard enough. You need to work harder. You need to be very afraid. And our God says just the opposite. You work very hard once a week. I want you to take time off and rest. Worship, celebrate. We call that the Sabbath. So I have in my mind this picture all throughout the land. The faithful, they would, in their little villages, would lay aside everything. They didn't have to worry during that day. Uh, God would protect them, keep them at rest. They would rest and celebrate and get together and enjoy the Lord. And that's, this is not Sabbath, because Sabbath is seven days for the Christian in the New Testament. Every day is devoted to the Lord in the New Testament. 
but you could see them stopping from their long days of work and just resting and enjoying each other. The problem is, is that when sin entered the world, rest and enjoyment were no longer possible. So Sabbath appears at the very beginning in Genesis in the creation account, and then it disappears from the Bible until Exodus 20, when they're at the base of Mount Sinai, and they've now been led out of Egypt through the Exodus, and they're hearing what God desires, and it's one of the Ten Commandments. So why did it disappear? Because rest and enjoyment are not possible in a broken world. In fact, most of you know it's almost impossible even with the Lord. It's hard, isn't it? It's hard in a broken world. All the parables of the weeds, weed, uh, the, the weeds that grow up, the tares, all of those things, you know, that Jesus talked about, the, the seeds scattering on hard ground. That's our life, isn't it? So what we learn is that Sabbath was pointing them forward to a time when true joy would be part of their life. And now we know joy comes from the Holy Spirit. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy. That's something that you should learn, that you really want to experience joy. It doesn't come with more money. It doesn't come with a bigger house, more successful job. Those of you that are successful know what I'm talking about. That's not where it comes. It comes from faithful living because the Holy Spirit plants it, deposits it right here in the heart. That's where joy comes from. Okay? And so that's what Sabbath is doing for them. So what the Sabbath did is it became a symbol of the covenant that God made with them when they got to Mount Sinai. So now we're a little bit down the road, not far, maybe a couple months down the road, and we've gone through Leviticus and heard all the wonderful things about what it looks like to be a priest. And so now he's giving us these times of celebration where we can laugh and dance. Sabbath becomes the template, the foundation for all the festivals. Okay, so here are the festivals. I'm not going to read them through Leviticus. You can read them on your own. I'm just going to tell you about them. The first festival is the Passover and Festival of Unleavened Bread. They go together, okay? The Passover looked back and celebrated the freedom of the nation from bondage because it reminded them of, when, remember, when they were in Egypt, the 10th plague, plague was they celebrated Passover, put the blood on the doorpost, and God took the life of all the firstborn in Egypt. And so the 10 plagues were all an indictment by God against the 10 major gods of Egypt. So the 10 plagues were taught the Israelites that basically our God is bigger than their God. And so he destroyed the gods of Egypt. Now that they're out and they're sitting at the base of Mount Sinai, a few months later, he instills, he installs Passover to remind them of, of God's protection and his, his um, defeating, if you will, his judgment against their enemies. But it also points forward to Christ because we need Christ for atonement. And that's what the Passover was. God overlooked their sins, and they didn't have to pay a price. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7, uh, we sell, still celebrate this. Get rid of the old yeast. We're going to come back to this in just a minute. So that you may be a, a new unleavened batch, as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. So you remember on, on uh, Easter, we talked about the fact that Jesus, on Thursday night, celebrated Passover dinner with the disciples and then on Friday at 3 p.m. at a time when the high priest is sacrificing the Passover lamb in the temple, that's when Jesus died. 
So he celebrated Passover lamb on Thursday night and became our Passover lamb on Friday. That's what we celebrate with Easter. So this ceremony still continues into our Christian culture as Easter. We still lift up the risen, slain lamb for what he did. The festival of unleavened bread looked back and emphasized a need to purge leaven from their lives. So it foreshadows, if you will, the redemption of God. It lasted seven days, started and ended with complete rest, and it was designed to rejuvenate the people because they're not out in the fields working. They got seven days off, and they're just, they're just enjoying it. And so leaven was a symbol. God used it as of sin. And so this was a time once a year to recalibrate, sweep the house clean. Okay? Get rid of the sin in your lives. This leads to repentance. So we see in 1 Corinthians 5, the two on either side of the verses that I just read, your boasting is not good. Don't you know that a little yeast leavens the whole batch of dough? Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival, not with the old bread leavened with malice and wickedness. This is why the Holy Spirit had to come, because this was life before the new covenant. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. And so this festival was designed to give them annually a time to clean house. Okay? To get rid of the sin, if you will. And so that's a reminder to us to develop a repentant heart. Okay, 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Then we have the festival of first fruits. That began to make them look forward. So they've looked back now, okay, getting rid of sin and thanking God for his power over their enemies and his deliverance, his saving grace, which we all experience. Now we're looking forward. The festival of first fruits began to look forward with excitement at God's blessing of a full harvest. So remember that. So these three are right here in the middle of the beginning when they're starting to plant. And so they're now looking forward to a full harvest. It's no longer about the gods. It's no longer about rain. It's no longer about famine. It's about God's blessing. That's what he said to them. If you obey me, I will take perfectly good care of you. So this is when they're doing the planting at the beginning of the harvest, if you will, the beginning of the the season. So it gave the nation a way of thinking God and taught them that they were dependent on God rather than on the gods and the rainfall and all that. They're dependent on God. He's the one that provides. I mean, hopefully you you can hear our Christian theology woven all throughout this, everything we talk about. So it reminded the people that God would care for them. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20, Christ is called our first fruits. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So the first fruits were offered to the Lord as an offering. So Christ now is offered to the Lord through his sacrifice. He's the first fruits. The dead in Christ come next. Both James and Paul mentioned that we are all first fruits. We are the first fruits. So we're offered back to God, if you will, as an offering. Remember, these are the Lord's festivals. We benefit, but they belong to the Lord. Okay, then in the middle of the harvest, you have the festival of weeks. Now, this is an interesting one. I, you know, my grandparents uh, grew up in Kentucky. My parents grew up in Kentucky. I didn't. They moved to Florida when I was born. But they grow corn there. And um, I, I don't know much about corn other than I enjoy eating it. Okay? But I know that at the beginning, when I first get there, when I go visit, it's just dirt. 
It's just dirt on the fields. And then halfway through the year, if we go up there, halfway through the planting season, which I don't even know what that is, but the corn is about this high, okay? That's all. You can kind of walk through it and see it, but then when we come back, it's this high. And at their house, you can't see anything because in 360 degrees, the corn's up to here. And that's when I learned that that's why they had two-story houses because then all the bedrooms are on the second story because it's blisteringly hot, okay? And there's no breeze when the corn's this high. And so all the bedrooms are on the second floor, and my granddad explained, because when the crops get that high, the breeze can still flow through the bedrooms because they didn't have air conditioning back when they built the house. It made all the sense in the world. So now we're in the middle of it where the corn is this high. They can now see that they have a full crop coming. It's now obvious to them, okay? And they're aware that God has blessed them. The festival of weeks, it came 50 days after the first festival, and it commemorates what we now know as Pentecost. The blessing of the Lord when he comes down, his spirit, and brings us all to life. And so this was designed to teach them about God's blessing. They can now see it. It was a time where they thanked God for what he had done as well as what he was going to do, because it has to grow to fruition before they can enjoy it. But they can now see it. They have evidence of God's blessing. So the festival included, this festival included leaving some of the unharvested, this is where they're taught about don't harvest all the way to the boundaries, leave it for the poor. So now we're in the middle, and we can look back and say, okay, God has blessed us. We see the crops now. And we're going to bless, we're going to be blessed by God by having a full harvest. Therefore, they're already beginning to think in the midpoint about taking care of the poor. And this is what the story of Ruth is all about. If you read Ruth, okay, God saved them because they were allowed to eat in Boaz's field along the edges. And so that's how they took care of the poor. And let me just stop and say a word. Um, Part of our worship service includes our collection of an offering as well as communion some of you put your stuff there some of you send it in online i don't know how it all works but i know it's there and uh let me just say thank you for being generous because we lose we use a chunk of that to take care of the poor in our community through our benevolence fund through the work that we do and meeting with them for counseling mental health issues things like that through the food bank and so we still celebrate this we just do it a little bit differently than crops of grain and things like that So the Pentecost saw the beginning of the church as the fulfillment of this festival. All of a sudden, God's beginning to raise up his true people. And that's what Pentecost is all about, 50 days after the resurrection. So um, at the end of the harvest, we have the uh, three festivals. First one is the Festival of Trumpets. The Festival of Trumpets looked forward to renewal and thanksgiving. You see in Israel, all through Judges, when they wanted the nation to gather, they blew the trumpet. That's when people came together. They would blow the trumpet on certain days. That means get there. It's a calling, if you will. So the people were to look forward with anticipation at God's blessing. They can now see the crops, and now we're at the end, and now the crops are all full, and God has blessed them and taken care of them. And so it celebrates a successful harvest, if you will. So the trumpets in Scripture represented the voice of God calling his people together. Starts in Numbers 10 when they get ready to pack up the tent of meeting and head out toward the promised land. They blow the trumpets. 
that represented God calling his people together. It's time to go, if you will. And it also is a sign that they could approach God. All these festivals were an invitation to step into God's presence. And that's what priests are all about. We invite people to step into God's presence, and that's what these festivals do. So it was a time of rest, uh, repentance, restoration, if you will. This is captured by the last trumpet in the New Testament. Look with me in First Thessalonians 4. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And we see it again in verse 15, uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound. This is the voice of God calling his people. The dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed. So the last trumpet is the final call of all of God's people through the ages. And in Israel, it was the call of the nation together. And so he is preparing them for the new covenant and the coming Messiah with all of this imagery, these festivals. They were designed to be celebratory, laughing, dancing. The rabbis tell us they dance around the clock. And they were, enjoy, they were away from their crops, so they were free to just enjoy life. But they each had something in them that prepared them for where we are today. When the last trumpet sounds, we'll hear it. And we get called together with everybody all through the ages. Then we have the Day of Atonement. not going to say a lot about that. We talked about that earlier in the series. But it's a time, remember, when the people ceased from their work, humbled themselves, and assembled in God's presence. We had the two goats, remember? One of the goats was sacrificed as a sin offering, because remember, you had to be, have a sin offering to move into the realm of the holy. And the other goat was dispatched into the wilderness. We call that a scapegoat, okay? And so they gave the two goats. The goat that was dispatched was probably sent away as a symbol of the demon. Uh, they had a goat demon uh, in that they, where they had come from, and so they were sending it away. We don't need you anymore. And that's where I use the example of when I went to India and did a pastor's conference. They, it's very common to give you a gift. That's the way they honor you. And they gave me a hand-carved elephant, which is on my shelf in my office. And I'm looking down, and I'm thinking, okay, is this a joke? Because this is one of their biggest gods, Ganesh, okay, an elephant. So I finally looked up, and I said, did you just give me a god? And all the pastors started laughing. They said, "Why? we don't need it anymore. Take it away. So that's what the scapegoat is all about. Get out of here. Get rid of it. We don't need it anymore. That's the Day of Atonement. Let's move on to the Festival of Tabernacles. This one commemorated the wilderness wanderings and God's care. So um, the Festival of Tabernacles, this is the last one. They got together. So now we're at the end of the harvest. Everybody gathered, and we're celebrating because we had a full harvest. We got food everywhere. We're abundant, okay? And they, they... moved into tents, little tabernacles in the city of Jerusalem. So you can imagine a million people gathering, and they're all in tents, okay? And um, they're celebrating what happened in the wanderings because they lived in tents for 40 years and how God took care of them. So, you know, their sandals didn't wear out. They had food to eat, water. Where'd they get water? I mean, we have some examples of Moses striking the rock, that kind of thing, but every day God had to provide water. Every day. So this this festival actually had two different pieces to it. One was water, and the other one is light. Okay, we'll look at the water first. This is in John chapter 7. In John, in John 7, Jesus goes up 
uh, verse 14, halfway through the festival, and this is a festival of tabernacles, Jesus went up to the temple courts and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching. Okay, now the way this festival worked, it was eight days long, okay? On the eighth day, and by the way, every festival covered over a Sabbath. That's why Sabbath was um, the, the platform, the, the foundation for everyone was over a Sabbath when they were supposed to enjoy the Lord and rest. So on the eighth day, what happened was the priest would go to the pool of Siloam with a golden pitcher filled with water, walk into the temple, and he would pour it out as a libation, as an offering, if you will. Remember David did that when he said, oh, I wish I could drink water from the springs of Jerusalem. And two, of his, two or three of his mighty men snuck in, grabbed water, and they brought it to him. And he said, I can't drink this. You guys risked your life. So to honor you, I'm going to pour it out. Remember, they pour the blood out. That's how they honored things. So the priests would honor the Lord by pouring out the water. Okay? So Jesus is now in the temple. Okay? Verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the festival, this is when all this action happens, up until now, they've been dancing, um, singing 24 hours a day, the rabbis tell us. On the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, that means he shouted, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Okay? In John, water symbolizes life and the Holy Spirit. Remember the Samaritan woman? Water will spring up and uh, it'll well up in a spring of life. And so what what this water, this festival is all about was teaching the people that the water was preparing them for the coming Holy Spirit. Ezekiel 36, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll be like cool, refreshing water. You'll never thirst again. And so Jesus stands up because this has just become a ritual. It was just a celebration with no meaning by now. And so the priest is over there in one part of the temple, probably dumping the water out, and Jesus on the other side shouting, if you're really thirsty, come to me. And you won't be thirsty. The other part of the, the festival celebrated in the wanderings, the light. You see, the Israelites were terrified of the darkness. Um, below the water, the sea was darkness and chaos. Uh, Israel never had a navy, for example. Okay, that might give you a little bit of insight into Peter say to Jesus, command me to walk on the water, because that was absolute fear. That's why they, they never did. And so darkness, they got that rightfully from Egypt because in Egypt cosmology, the sun god Ra would rise in the morning, everything would be ordered. And he would go through the day, and then at dusk, he would go to the netherworld, and everything turns to chaos. Okay? Passover struck at nighttime when everything's chaotic in their minds. And then the next morning, sun god would rise, and everything would be ordered again. And then the sun god would go into the netherworld, everything would become chaotic. So they were terrified of the darkness. That's why darkness became a metaphor for evil and sin. So in Egypt, creation occurred every 24 hours. Okay? That gives you insight into our creation story. And so light, all the way through the wanderings, at nighttime, what appeared? The pillar of light. It's God's way of saying you've got nothing to be afraid of. Everything is under control. So water, he took care of them, and light, he led them and protected them. Those were both there. So we see the second one appear in John chapter 8. He's still at the festival. Verse 12, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And so this festival, this is the last of the great festivals. We're down here now at the end. They had seen the full crops. They had been blessed. God once again had taken care of them. And now they're recalibrating their life and they're committing themselves through repentance and renewal to trust him for the next year. And the next year, they start all over again. And they begin to look back and celebrate what he has done. Begin to look forward. Move to the center where they can see the crops. God has let them see you're being blessed. So now we make a commitment to take care of the poor. All the way to the end when we look forward and say, the coming Messiah, the trumpet's going to be blown. We're all going to be gathered together. He's going to take care of us and give us water where we never thirst and light. So we see things clearly and accurately and truthfully. You shall know the truth and the truth will set you free. See how these festivals work? So it's a timing. It's creating an identity and it's creating a timing. Interestingly enough, Jesus said he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he said, if anyone is burdened, come to me. Right? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. There's no God in the ancient world that had this thinking. But these festivals are far more than just creating this sense of timing, helping a nation. Um, when the Spirit came to Pentecost, it becomes interwoven in all that we do, everything that we do. So when I explain these, hopefully most of it's not new to you. You just never connected it to the festivals because this is so integral part of everything we do. And communion here is all part of it. So communion is comprised of two things, bread and wine. The bread comes with deep roots in the Old Testament, the grain offering, God's provision. He will take care of you. And the early church, they would grow it and make the bread and bring the bread, and that's what they had. We buy it at the store. And so, but this was their first sacrifice. And it goes back and talks about God's provision. The wine is a blessing. Wine is associated with blessing in the Old Testament, several places. And it communicated the coming Messiah. And so all those festivals, they get wrapped up in what we do right here and the way we live our lives every day. So Sabbath, every day is to be a Sabbath rest. We look forward to that final trumpet when it blows and we hear the voice of God and we all gather. The people that have gone before us and every other Christian in the world, I have Christians all around the world, I can't wait to meet them in the air, you know, and enjoy it. With so all of the festivals come together in our theology and point us back to what Christ did and point us forward to what Christ is going to do. That's the purpose of the festivals. That's how the Lord took care of the nation. He gave them priests so that they could know what to do, and if they got in trouble, they could just go ask. What does the law say I'm supposed to do here? And he gave them festivals so that they would laugh and dance and celebrate and remember three times a year we serve the Lord. Father, thank you for for being such a great God. Even just looking through Leviticus, we see your incredible care, your incredible care of uh, your people, providing priests everywhere they went to make sure that they had access to you. And then festivals to remind them all throughout the year to develop a repentant heart, a glad heart, a grateful heart. We can understand Paul when he says, in everything give thanks for this is God's will for you. Help us to be a grateful people. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray, our high priest. Amen.
Okay, for those of you watching online, thanks so much for joining us. I trust you'll have a good week. This concludes the live streaming portion of our service.